0: A lot of modern day Western Christians misunderstand what global missions is about. And and I get this pushback sometimes even in our own in our own church, in our own tribe, of uh, you know, well, we gotta do work in our community and, and we and listen, I'm for all that. But that's not missions. Welcome to the Missions Pastor
1: Podcast presented by One Child. One Child is a global community of child champions that serves children in poverty so they can discover hope and reach their God-given potential. We believe that the local church has the message of hope that the world desperately needs to hear. And in every episode, we highlight churches, pastors, and ministries who are working to bring that hope to Hard Places. I'm David Jesse. I'm your host for today's conversation with David Wigginton, David pastors Cornerstone Church in Bloomington, Indiana. He's the author of God of the Long View, Trusting a Timeless God in a Hurried World. And David has led his church to make missions central to everything they do. So I asked David a question that would seem to have an obvious answer. Why is being active in international missions so important to the local church? Here's what he had to say.
0: You know, it is sort of an obvious and not obvious question. I think when we started our church 25 years ago, there was a lay leader that was helping us. His name was Walter Richardson, and he he told me when we first moved to town, he said, hey, he said, I really believe if we take care of our pastor and we do what's right by missions, that God will take care of the rest. And I, I really believe that. I believe that churches who invest in missions, that it benefits the church. But I also believe that the local church, uh, well, Jesus is the hope of the world, right? But the local church is his Absolutely. chosen mechanism to to reach the world. And so uh, I think local churches being involved in missions Planting and partnering with other local churches around the world is, is how we're going to reach the world for Jesus. And so I think missions is so central to who we are as a church and should be central, frankly, to what every church is. I, I, I don't understand churches who don't invest in missions heavily because if, if we're not doing that, if we're not both reaching our community and investing in those who are reaching communities around the world who don't have a gospel witness, then what are we here for? You know, and so, uh, I feel pretty passionately about this so much so that when we started our church, we're in a, a medium sized town. Our town's about a hundred thousand people. Uh, there had never been a full gospel evangelical church over about 150 people in our town. And so we didn't think we were going to grow a mega church. We're not a mega church. Uh, but early on, I said, we want to give like a mega church. So in our Constitution and bylaws, our church is required to give a third of every dollar that comes into wow. missions. And so it's really important to us. And you know, we put our money where our mouth is, but I will just tell you that, man, through all of it, through the last 25 years, through the pandemic, through you know highs and lows, the Lord's just been faithful. And I I tie all that back to our missions giving. And I said at the early part of the pandemic, I said publicly that I would cut my salary to zero. I would go to get a job at a fast food restaurant before I would cut a single missionary or a single missions organization that we're supporting. Now, thank God we didn't have to do that because I don't think I'd be very good at flipping burgers, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I would have been willing to do it because I believe so passionately in those that are doing the hard work of reaching the lost around the world. And, 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 ministering to the less fortunate and and all of those things. So I just think missions is a powerful way that the church expresses itself and brings glory to God on the earth.
1: You know, some churches de-emphasize uh, global missions by claiming that the focus should be exclusively on like reaching their own local community. Why do you disagree with that?
0: You know, um, I could unpack that for a long, long time, yeah, but I'll just it. say yeah. this. I think, I think a lot of, Modern day Western Christians misunderstand what global missions is about. And, and I get this pushback sometimes even in our own, in our own church and our own tribe of, you know, well, we got to do work in our community and, and we, and listen, I'm for all that, but that's not missions. That's evangelism. That's outreach. uh, That's that's helping. That's benevolence. That's that's all of those things. It's not missions. Global missions is reaching the lost in places where they don't have an opportunity to hear. About Jesus, and so the way I distinguish that, if if you'll just, uh, I'm I'm near Indianapolis. Indianapolis, a town of a million people, there are 500 as of last week. There are 511 churches in Indianapolis. Um, I can take you to Al Yeheda in Yemen, which is about the same size town, a million people, and they have zero churches. Hmm. So why is missions important? Well, it's important hmm. because there's not a, ch- a church witness, there's not a gospel witness in in Yemen. And so the way I say it is this: if somebody in Yemen has a dream about Jesus. And that's happening all over the world. People are, people are having dreams about Jesus. Well, if, if somebody in Al-Yahedah in Yemen has a dream about Jesus and they wake up, where do they go? Who do they go to to ask, who is this person hmm. that appeared to be in a dream? And And until there's a church there, until there's a gospel presence there, until there's, you know, depending on who you ask, between two and 5% of an evangelical population there, until there's a witness there, There is no one in their tribe, no one who shares their culture, no one who shares their language, no one who shares their ethnicity uh, that can tell them who Jesus is. That's why we've got to do global missions. So there's a difference between unchurched and unreached. And yes, are there unchurched people in my town? 100%. Are there secular people in, in America? All over the place. But they're not unreached. In other words, they, they have access to information about the gospel more than we've ever had in the history of humanity. And so we should be doing those things. We should be doing local community outreach. So listen, we were one of the first people, um, I think, in America to partner um, and bring in a truckload of groceries when the pandemic hit. And and, and we blessed 1,500 families in our community with uh, with free groceries. And, and and we do that stuff. And we partner with the, the the local crisis pregnancy center. And we partner with all of us. That's not missions. And, and I think I think that's where it's kind of gotten lost. Uh, My friend Dick Brogdon says, if everything is missions, then nothing is missions. Hmm. And and I think that's where we've gotten is we've said, well, we partner with a local pregnancy center. So that's missions. Or we have a a homeless shelter or we have a food kitchen or we have a, a food pantry and that's missions. That's not missions. That's outreach. That's evangelism. Every healthy local church should be doing that. But it's not a substitute because Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel and so this is the work that only the church is going to do like n- there's not going to be a government agency or an ngo that's going to come on come along and say let's plan a church in al you know or or let let's let's go and, and put a gospel witness station somewhere in the middle of uh the himalayan mountains in, in in bhutan there's not going to be any other agency that's going to do that it's up to the church to do that and until we do that We've not fulfilled the Great Commission and, and that's, you know, super concerning on a whole other level. I'm sure you've seen the, the Barner mm. research that says over half of millennials don't even know what the Great Commission is. Mm. And and so until we're going and baptizing and discipling and teaching and doing those things that Jesus asked us to do, I, I I'll make a rather declarative statement. I'm not even sure you can call that a church if you're not doing that stuff because that's what Jesus wow. called his church to do. And so, yes, it's both and. It's do that local stuff, but that is not a substitute for making the name of Jesus great where it is not known. That's good. You know, for many
1: churches, um, like Cornerstone, obviously, missions is an important part of their giving and it's a part of their DNA. Um, you mentioned earlier about how Cornerstone, you know, from its very inception, um, chose to designate a third of your offerings to. I'm assuming, uh, you know, international missions. Is is that is that what the yes. focus is primarily? Yes. Mm-hmm. How is that? Cre- what kind of culture has that created for Cornerstone as you guys have 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 had that emphasis?
0: You know it's fascinating, and in the last couple of years, we've actually topped fifty percent. Last year, fifty four percent of every dollar that came into our church went to to global missions, um, and we still did ministry in our community and outreach in our community. And I don't say any of that to brag because it's it's not me. We've just got a bunch of faithful people that are just super faithful to support the work of missions around the world. But man, how does it affect a church? It changes everything. Um, if you walk through our facility, I think our facility is great. Um, it's about half what most of the church growth experts would tell you we should have built in terms of our mortgage and the, the amount of money that we spent. Um, our staff is woefully undersized for the size church that we are. We have incredible teams of volunteers that help us to execute ministry because we, we operate with a fairly tight team. Um, so it affects, it affects us financially because we're, we're operating locally with a smaller piece of the pie but it also changes expectations right so when somebody walks into a church and they see that we've in 25 years we've given more away than we've ever spent on staffing than we've ever spent on facilities hmm. than we've ever spent on anything that we give more away in any given year like it changes everything in terms of people's perceptions and expectations they don't walk in expecting to be served and catered to they they walk in expecting to be a part of this service machine, you know, of let's, let's serve one another because if we don't, it's not going to work because we, we, we do operate on pretty skinny margins because of our staff and because of our facilities and all that. And all that's by choice. And, and I had, I had friends in ministry who told me, Hey, once you go, pre- grow, you know, grow past, you know, 400, you won't be able to do that. You'll have to, you know, the percentage will have to go smaller. Once you grow past 500, you'll, you'll have to cut that back. And, and there may come a point of growth where we'll have to cut that back, but the Lord just continues to be faithful. Um, we've had, I have somebody serving on my team right now who is, who serves us full time, who's been volunteer for the last seven years. Um, Mm -hmm. and they're, they're full-time staff. They serve on our team. They, 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 uh, you know, just like they get a full package, but they don't, you know, so the Lord just provides and it just, it really does change the culture, um, so much so that if a Sunday goes by and I don't mention missions or we don't have a missions update of some kind of people are like, Hey, what's wrong? Well, you know, we didn't get a missions update today. So it's, it creates an expectation because there's an excitement when we can own those global wins, right? When we, when, when we're ministering to kids, you know, in, uh, in, in the Dominican Republic and when we're planting a church in India and when we're seeing Muslim background believers come to Jesus in the Indian ocean basin and things like that, we can, even when we're going through COVID and, and uh, you know, Things are maybe shut down, or you know, we're like every other church trying to claw back to where we were pre-COVID in terms of our mm-hmm. in-person attendance numbers and those kinds of things. Even during that, we were able to celebrate victories because we're celebrating shared victories from around the world. So it really it, it keeps morale up. It's just it changes everything. I, I just can't even um, I can't imagine doing what I do without the the global missions emphasis because it really does change expectations. It changes, you know, there there is such a there's such a consumer mentality in the Western church. And man, we've got to fight that. And, and when you are constantly hearing about kids who don't know where their next meal is going to come from. And, mm. and, uh, we've taken four or five trips with one child to the Dominican Republic and taken them out, um, you know, on the outskirts of town to the, to the trash heap and watched kids, you know, literally pick food up out of the, the burning trash heap and eat it and pick up a Coke bottle and, and drink whatever was left in the bottom of that and those things. Mm. You know, it's hard then to, to walk in the next Sunday and complain a whole lot because you know the temperature in the sanctuary is 69 and you like it at 71 or or vice versa you know so it really does change everything about expectations and 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 about the way we work together
1: it's easy to fall into the habit of complaining about What has become known as kind of first world problems, but as David just pointed out when we leave our first world environment And see the way so much of the world lives It changes our perspective uh, making us more thankful for what we have and more committed To helping others who don't have as much We'll get back to our conversation with David Wigginton after this short message from one child
2: Together we believe extreme child poverty has an end and it starts with hope. Hope is a vision for a better future, a way to get there and the courage to try. And it is built through the church all over the world coming together as one global community to help children thrive. We create a partnership experience that reflects your heart for the world. Together, we find the point where our mission and vision intersect to address the needs of children living in hard places. Together, we are a community that sees children as solutions, not problems. A community with the courage to go to the hard places. A community that gives so children can thrive. Together, this is us. Your church, a shared vision, celebrating global impact through the local church. For more information, visit onechild.org partnership.
1: Everyone has their own picture in their minds when they think of missions ministry in the local church. But in reality, missions looks different from church to church. So I asked David, what does mission look like at Cornerstone.
0: You know, uh it looks different than what probably most people would imagine when they hear what we give to missions in a, in a given year and that we give such a huge percentage of our income to missions. Um we take four or five missions offerings a year. Um those are usually very very significant. You know, there the, the last major missions offering we took was in December and that that missions offering was just shy of $200,000. So it's significant. Um we don't take Faith promises, commitment cards, things like that. Um, we just have people who are regularly, faithfully supporting and giving to missions. And, and so we also are pretty non traditional in our missions. And what I mean by that is, uh, about 90% of the missionary workers who are being sent out globally from the, the Western church and from sending agencies, about 90% are going to places that are already heavily Christianized. And only 10%, some, some studies say as few as 3% are going to those places like Al-Yaheda in Yemen where there's no church and there's no mm. gospel witness. And, and so we have a pretty heavy emphasis on unreached places we have a pretty heavy emphasis on difficult places um and and so a lot of non-traditional missionaries come through our place so missionaries who are going to start coffee shops and missionaries who are uh who who have a, a my friends the Dingmans who who have a a company that makes quilts out of recycled saris and they employ wow. muslim women who help make those quilts and so we we see a lot of non-traditional, what we call BAM missionaries, businesses mission missionaries that come through. Um and so it is it's different than what you would typically think. You know, our people don't see a whole lot of pictures and videos of grass huts in Africa and things like that. You know, the pictures that we all kind of have in our mind of the missionary slideshow. It's 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 really, I think, missions 2.0. And and I think ultimately, just as a side note, a lot of the things that we're learning about business practices and missions and and help, having to be creative about access and things like that I think the world is going to turn around and have to teach those things back to the Western Church as as we face perhaps you know losing tax exemption status and things like that. We're going to have to find other ways to use our buildings to make money and 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 to keep things going when we have to start paying taxes on them. And I, I think that day is probably coming. I hate it, but I yeah. I think that day is ultimately probably coming at some point. Um, but we're learning some things now operating businesses in um, in a missions context that I think are going to ultimately help the Western Church to survive when that time comes because when you know when we learn how to hey how can we how can we operate a business how can we use these assets for maximum and you know efficient uh, effectiveness for the kingdom and things like that so um, yeah we have we have businesses operating all over the world language schools uh, we've got a burger joint in the Middle East that uh, serves great ah. burgers we've got a we've got an ice cream joint that's rather unique it's in the mountains uh, of Central Eurasia and they uh, they don't serve uh, cow's milk ice cream they serve yak's milks ice cream because that's uh, that's all they have access to so the ice cream is made from yak milk I've not tried that one quite yet I don't know if I'm ready for yak milk ice cream but uh, um. so yeah it looks different Um, but there's for us there's almost always some sort of touch mention slide picture video something almost every Sunday um, a story in my message there's almost something every sunday where we're talking about missions because it's just such a huge part of our our dna cuz i just passionately think that god's called us to make his name great you know in in all those places when, when jesus mm-hmm. teaches his disciples to pray he says when you pray say our father who's in heaven hallowed be your name what's hallowed mean holy worthy mm-hmm. like so we know he's worthy you and i david we know he's worthy they don't know he's worthy in yemen they don't mm-hmm. know he's worthy in north korea yeah. mm-hmm. uh, they don't know he's worthy in madagascar so unless somebody goes how can we ever even pray that prayer unless somebody's going and saying, hey, this God in heaven is worthy. He is holy. He's hallowed. And so I think just even the way Jesus taught us to pray, like God's name's supposed to be great everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and so we're called to do that. So we just, we just hammer that home over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, we're constantly defining those terms and talking about, um, what missions looks like and, and how, how it's changing and, and, and those kinds of things. So yeah, it really does. Uh, it, it looks probably different than what most people would imagine, probably pretty non-traditional in that sense. Um, because we're, we're doing so many non-traditional things and, and, and missions. And for me, missions is, It's partnership. You know, it's, it's like, I'm, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. You know, if I want to minister to kids, I'm going to call one child. Like, why, I don't, why, why would I go reinvent the wheel someplace? And I think that's the other sort of disconcerting thing I see in, in some churches is this, this desire to have ownership of everything and go, well, this, that's, we, we have a ministry that does that we own an orphanage or we own this or we do that. And it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to do all that stuff. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to work with the people who've already figured it out. You know, I want to, I want to work with the people who've, who've been doing it. And so uh, we have a lot of great partners uh that, that work in uh, kids ministry. We have a, a great partner who works in anti-trafficking. We have great partner who works in, in, in disaster relief. and And then a couple of great partners that work in this area of unreached and businesses mission and, things like that. So yeah, it's we're pretty non traditional, but but uh really pushing toward those partnerships and just continuing to 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 press in and and say, hey, what I think we can do more. I, I really think, you know, uh we haven't yet maximized our potential. And one of my passions as a pastor Talking to other pastors when I get opportunities to is 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 just to sort of tell our story and say, hey, when we were a church of a hundred, this is what we were doing. When we were a church of you know seventy, this is what we were doing. And uh, I'll never forget our first. What I thought our first big missions offering was Father's Day, nineteen ninety nine. And we had started. We uh, we were about two years old, just a little over two years old as a church, and we were running about sixty five people at the time. <laughs> and uh, um, the Lord had just laid on my heart to take an offering for Bibles, and I. I was going to take this offering for Bibles and I was I was passionate and, and in my head I thought, man, big churches give offerings that are twenty five thousand plus dollars. And but but we're not a big church. We're only sixty-five people. And Father's Day is not usually a good attendance Sunday. Mother's Day is the good attendance Sunday. But I just thought, man. If we could give $10,000, that would be so amazing as a church of 65 people. And as a church of 65 people, without a single gift over $3,500, we gave $27,000 to print (laughs) Bibles that day, and we had 61 people in attendance. And so for us, it's about... Participation. It's about getting the message out. So everybody participates. Everybody gives every family. So we're, we're shooting for most of our missions offerings. We're shooting for 95 plus percent participation. Wow. And I don't just mean like 95% of our families. I mean 95% of our people. Like if you've got mm. a teenager, I want your teenager giving. If you've got a kid, I want your kid giving in our kids missions offering. I want 95 plus percent of our people doing something because I think that's the only way we get there is by everybody doing something. Wow. So what
1: are some ways that you, um you know, beyond giving, what are some ways that you connect all of those individual members and their families with global missions?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, every time we have a missionary in town, we actually have very few missionary ge- guests on Sunday morning, uh, but we have missionaries who come. I would say about half the year there's a missionary in Bloomington hanging out with somebody in our church. And so they go to small groups. They go to our youth group. Um, we have We have our own summer camp, and we have several missionaries who are sending their kids to our camp this summer because their kids know our kids and their kids have been in our town. We have one missionary family from China that since covid since they 've been out of the country they 've been three separate weeks to spend a whole week with us in bloomington wow. um and and never never spoken on a Sunday morning um, They just come and hang out, go to our small groups kids go to mm-hmm. youth group you know they they hang out because we want our we want our people to see missionaries. Not as heroes. This is something that's a little bit different about our culture. You hear a lot of like old school people talking about missionaries are our heroes. And most of my missionary friends don't want to be seen that way um, because they don't see themselves that way. It sets up a really unrealistic expectation for them. Um, And so we want our people to see our missionaries, not as heroes, but rather as just people who have a different assignment than we do. And they're being faithful to that assignment. And so, yeah, they're making sacrifices and their family's going to go through some tough things and they have to make some adjustments, especially those with kids and all of that. But it's, but it's not that they're, it's not that they're heroes. They just have a different assignment and and they're going to be faithful to that assignment. So they're faithful soldiers. And that helps me on my end, because then I can tell my people, Hey, You have a different assignment than them. God's not assigned you to go run a coffee shop in China. God's assigned you here for now. And he may assign you someplace else in the future, but right now he's assigned you here. And so what's your role in making the name of Jesus great around the world in your current assignment? And for some of you, that's to give. For most of us, that's to give. For others of you, that might be. To go on a short term trip for others of you that might be to engage in ministering to third culture kids and sending letters and birthday gifts and things like that. But we all have different assignments. And so when we begin to see missionaries as just part of our family and church body and not some other than, you know, superheroes, you know, they're not, Mm. they're not Marvel superheroes. They're just (laughs) regular people who are obedient. And, and, and so our people love missionaries for that reason. They don't, Adore them in the sense that like traditionally, hey, you're such a hero they just love them because they're just part of our family. And so uh, we we tend to, we pick a handful of missionaries and we go really, really deep with them. Uh, so much so that we, my wife and I, for two and a half, almost three years, had one of our missionary kids living in our home while she attended Indiana wow. University. And and so they're just part of our church family. We have another missionary kid who's moving to Bloomington this fall to plug in and be a part of our church and attend university because of a relationship that we built with, with her family um, that we've just gone deep with them. So uh yeah, so they just missionaries are just a part of our everyday life. And, and I would rather put a missionary in a small group or send them to a dinner than give them a microphone, because I think they can make a longer, deeper impact sitting around a dinner table than they can in four or five minutes on a Sunday morning with, with a microphone in their hand. Yeah, it's interesting because you you talk about
1: how you're building this this community that it, it, the missionary families and their and 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 the people that 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 you support they're a part of your community they're 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 sure. they're part of that family and so it reminds me of Jesus talking about. Um, where your heart is, there's your treasure. And so it the natural outflow when you have those relationships with these people and you know their kids and you've had them over for dinner in
0: your house, giving is just a natural response to that relationship. Hundred percent. And and that makes that makes my job as sort of the lead fundraiser here at Cornerstone makes my job so much easier because a lot of times when I'm standing taking up an offering, I'm like, hey, you know these people like this is so and so who's doing this work in Israel Palestine and man they've got a need and we've got to meet that need cuz they're a part of our family they're a part of who we are and so we we need to meet that need and so it's uh it's it's pretty cool it's it's a really fun culture that god's allowed us to create and and it's what i Envisioned as a church planter starting out and being able to create my own culture, uh, because I almost became a missionary. Like I was before we came to Plant Bloomington, I I was, I was this close to going to India and being a missionary. So, um, and so this was, this was kind of like the dream that I had to create a culture that was just so focused on and centered on things outside of you know, our building and, and, and doing global missions together. It's been a really, it's been a really, really fun ride. We've, we've now given in 25 years, uh, somewhere North of eight and a half million dollars to missions in 25 years. So it's been a pretty cool ride. Wow. All right. So let's, uh, hypothetically there's, there's,
1: a, you know, the, there's a pastor or a missions pastor, maybe a new missions pastor in a church that's listening to this. And they, they know that they want to really, um, raise the the bar for their church when it comes to the work that they're doing uh, around the world and the missions. But they uh, they don't know kind of how to get things to that next level. What advice would you give uh, to? But both the missions pastor in that role and then maybe a lead pastor that is 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 wanting to to create this culture.
0: Sure, and I I'll just say I love missions pastors. I work with a ton of missions pastors. It all starts with the lead pastor. If the lead pastor doesn't get a vision for missions, missions can't be a department in the church, um, and it, it can't be it can't be something we do. It has to be who we are. We have to buy into this idea that that God has called us to make His name great amongst the nations. And until we buy into that, it'll just be a department. Or it'll be something else we do. And 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 if it's a department or something else we do, then it's like every other department. It's it's up for grabs and it's optional, and we can cut it back and we can do this. I don't think we have the option to do that. With global missions, because I think it's so essential to who we are as a church and 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 should be every church. And so if you're coming into a new situation, man, as a lead pastor, I would just encourage you every Sunday, be telling stories every Sunday, be talking about missions, fit in a story this last Sunday. I fit in a story about the the church in Egypt taking an offering for the church in Syria and how that was a beautiful way <laughs> that near neighbor churches are helping others. And it's not just the American church doing it, that the Egyptian church is stepping up and the global south churches are step, stepping up in a huge way and sending missionaries all over the world. And I was not even taking a missions offering. And I told about the Egyptian church raising $2,400 for the Syrian church. And after that that evening at our newcomer's dinner, somebody came up and handed me an envelope with $2,400 in it and said, I want to match what the Egyptian <laughs> Egyptian church did for the Syrian church. And so I'm just telling you as a lead pastor, just keep saying it over and over again. If you need stories, reach out to me. I've got buckets of stories I'll share with you. You can have them and just tell mission stories and and get yourself somewhere overseas and see Mm -hmm. ministries that you're partnering with because you can't help but catch Vision and fire for that when you when you begin to see it firsthand. So get over this. One of the things that one of my roles, I lead a couple of trips every year and I try to help pastors who've not traveled get over that and go to, you know, go to some places that they're a little more uncomfortable with with going. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh I, I would encourage you get out, go see it. If you're a missions pastor, my challenge would be to you. I know. You, you're you're probably frustrated at times because you got to get the lead pastor on board, or you got to get the missions committee on board, or those kinds of things. And my my challenge to you as a missions pastor would just be, don't give up. Keep putting the content out there wear your lead pastor out with emails and stories and say, man, I heard this story. I just wanted you to have it because you might want to tell this on a Sunday morning. Man, I heard heard this update from a missionary and something cool really happened. And and here's this cool thing that's happening in the Indian Ocean Basin. They've baptized seven Muslim background believers. And you know, so they've got five new believers, seven new believers in the last five years. And they didn't have any before that. And it began to just just because all lead pastors are looking for content on some level. And so just keep giving your lead pastor missions content, just keep pushing it, uh, across the table toward, uh, toward your lead pastor so that they they're equipped to begin to create that DNA in, in the church. And so I would encourage your missions pastor. Yeah. Do that. Give them some offerings. Say, Hey, I heard about this opportunity. Here's an offering that we can take. You know, here's here's a, a group that we can partner with. Here's here's uh, some other churches that are gathering together and taking this offering. Here's this group that does child sponsorship. Here's that, you know, just keep pushing content your lead pastor's way uh, because you may have to change his or her heart before they can change the hearts of the people. Mm. And and so but that's OK because it's worth it because this is a long play. You know, this is this is a long play to get getting getting the word out there and just Plugging it every, you know, I've, I've told, I've shared some numbers. I'm not a numbers guy, but we didn't get where we are overnight. It's been 25 right. years and sometimes it's been a slog, you know. Um, but I will tell you at every opportunity, every time that we had a, uh, uh an obstacle in our way, whether it was a building that we needed to build, whether it was something that we, you know, a, a, a local ordinance that we were pushing up against in terms of permitting or something like that. First thing we think of is let's take a missions offering. Let's take a missions offering. Um, the first Sunday that we came back in person from COVID, mm-hmm. we took a missions offering. A lot of churches are like freaking out, trying to make sure they got the bills paid and all of that. And I get it. But we're like, hey, if we're going to make it through this storm, we're going to need God's blessing. So let's take a missions offering. And so we took a huge missions offering at that time, the largest missions offering in the history of our church, 11 weeks into the pandemic. Um, And so I'm just telling you, missions pastors, just keep pushing that content. Keep, Keep saying, hey, here's an offering. Here's an opportunity. And then one other thing that we just learned along the way, and this would be for missions pastors and lead pastors, is don't just take an offering. You know, you can stand up and go, "Hey, we need ten thousand dollars, or we need a hundred thousand dollars, or we need this." Um, there is a strategy to this, and I, I read a book that was written by a hospital CEO a couple of years ago. The name escapes me because I'm horrible with book names because I, I read <laughs> so many. But, but basically, the, two things: um, when hospitals advertise, they are not advertising. Most of them are not advertising the doctors. And they're not advertising the facilities. What are they advertising? The patients whose lives they've changed. Yep. And so it's a, it's a person, not a project. And so you got to make every project a person. So whether that's child sponsorship or human trafficking or even church planting, the person becomes the pastor or the person becomes the lost person in that community. It's projects it's it's not it's not projects it's people and then when you come to taking the offering i've learned I've learned two things um, and one of them is very very counterculture because we're all private about what we give every mm. missions offering that we take I announce m- what my wife and I are giving I announce what we're doing publicly because what i'm doing is i'm setting the bar and saying i don't want i don't want you to think that I'm trying to ask you for a hundred thousand dollars and I'm giving twenty five and so we invest heavily in Missions ourselves. And so for pastors, that's going to re- require some reordering of your life. My wife and I last year gave more to missions than we gave to our mortgage company. Um, mm-hmm. we believe in this. We're, we're, we're invested in this truly physically invested in this. So that's one thing I tell people what I'm given. And the other thing is we set, we set marks every offering we give. And what you're looking for is an amount that every person can give. So when I when I set that amount, I'm thinking about a college student who works a part-time job. I'm thinking about my grandmother who passed away three or four years ago but was on a fixed income, Social Security income when she passed away. So I'm trying to find something, some bite, some piece of that project that's somewhere between between ten and twenty-five dollars, an amount that everybody can give. And I can say, hey, if you give twenty-five dollars, you can buy a Bible for this pastor. If you give twenty-five dollars, you can buy a, a piece of tin sheeting for the top of this building that we're building. You know, here's, here's this. 20, and so we set that mark and then we set another mark kind of in the middle. So that's a mark that everybody can do. And in the middle, we set a mark that, that, uh, s- some people can do. And so that we're usually aiming for 250 to 500. And, and this, and this, I've, I'm thinking about a working family, you know, mom and dad and two kids, and and they probably don't have ten thousand dollars they can give or even a thousand dollars that right. they can give, but they can they can budget and they can go, hey, we can give four or five hundred dollars in that offering. And so I'm looking for that mark, um, whatever that is, the whatever that bite is for that certain project. And so something everybody can give, something some people can give, and then something a few people can give. I'm always setting one up there that's going to be a thousand, fifteen hundred, sometimes twenty five hundred dollars. Um, and so like for, for example, I'm planning right now an offering that we're doing in December and we're building buildings for churches in Kenya that don't have a building. They meet out under a tree. And, and so for five hundred dollars, you can be, buy a piece of property. That's, hmm. that's one piece of it. For thirty five hundred dollars, you can actually build the tabernacle building. For twenty five dollars, you can buy the pastor a Bible. And so now I've got my three, my three bites and it's amazing to watch when you see hundreds of gifts come in and it's like, wow, we had, you know, hundreds of gifts come in and 60% of them were $535 because we set that mark of $535. You can buy a piece of property. And we had 11 of them that were 3,500 because they were, because what it will do is it'll stretch people to say, okay, well, I, everybody has a number in their head. And as a fundraiser, what you've got to do is you got to get them off that number right? You got you to gotta move them off that number somehow. And so it's never a round number. It's never 500. It's always going to be 535. It's always going to be 3375, something like... And they're real numbers. We work the projects re- really hard to get to real numbers. But I've just learned it is, it is... If I have a secret sauce... And I this is not me. I've learned this from a lot of other people. Um, but if I have a secret sauce in fundraising, that's certainly one ingredient of it is setting the various marks in the offering. Something everybody mm-hmm. can do, something some of your people can do and something a very few people can do. And then in every offering that we've taken for the last 25 years, my wife and I have given at that highest level or higher. And I announced that that's what I'm doing. So what I'm doing then is I'm inviting my high capacity donors to the table and saying, I'm not asking you to do something that we're not already doing. Mm -hmm. And, and so what I, what I find is that, connection just grows and grows and grows and 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 so every every offering we have new people they're kind of added to that fraternity that join us at that high level because hey we gave five hundred dollars the last five or six you know we were in that middle this year the Lord blessed us or we got a tax return or 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 what we sold a car or whatever and we can give it that higher level and people celebrate and then what we do in every offering that we do at that highest level We send a, I send a gift and a handwritten note to everybody that gives at that highest level. Um, so for example, we just did an offering back in December, the one I told you about that, um, was for the Arab world. And so we had. Uh, olive wood plaques from Jordan made that had the, oh, wow. uh, the Lord, the Lord's prayer in Arabic engraved on them. And, and we gave one of those to everyone who gave at that highest tier with us. And so I had people who have collections of gifts that they've gotten from giving in, in missions offerings because you get what you celebrate and, and gratitude, gratitude leads to generosity. And so I've just, I've just learned over and over again. Man, if I'm grateful, if I express my gratitude, then the next time I've got an offering to present, people are ready and they're like, hey – I know a that it's going to where they say it's going to and b that it's appreciated that there, that there's gratitude that comes in return for this giving. So those are just a few things for missions, pastors and pastors that just some practical nuts and bolts of the way we think through these things. And the other thing is I, we plan missions offerings a year and a half ahead. I plan missions offerings further ahead than I plan my preaching calendar. My preaching calendars planned six months at a time. So I'm, I'm planned out at this point now till October, um, working on starting into Thanksgiving messages and things like that. Uh, um, but my missions right now, I'm working on missions offerings for next December. Wow. Um, so, so we, we work on these things way, way in advance because it's a priority. And when by the time we get there, I want to have the answer to every question that anybody could ask about that project. And, and so we're, we're, we're farming projects way down the line so that we can be prepared. And, uh, and, and as we've grown and we have other churches partnering with us for these offerings, it takes a while to find a project that can receive the kind of funds that yeah. we might raise. And so we want to be good stewards of that and and, and uh so we, we work way ahead on that.
1: There is so much gold in the things that David shared over the past 30 minutes, but here are three things that you should take away and begin to discuss with your church leadership right away. First, Missions isn't a program of the local church. It's the heartbeat of the local church. David and Cornerstone have been able to make such a major impact around the world because Missions is central to everything that they do. And second, Missions is something Everyone in the church should be a part of. At Cornerstone, it could be giving a suggested amount at a major missions offering, um, or participating in a short-term missions trip, hosting a missionary and their family for a meal in their home, or sponsoring a child in the Dominican Republic through one child. Because missions is central to Cornerstone's DNA, it's critical that everyone has an opportunity to be a part of missions. And finally, missions has to be planned out. I'm not sure if you picked up on what David said at the end there, but he actually plans out the missions efforts of Quarterstone Church more than he plans out his sermon series. Because David understands that the entire purpose of the local church is to take the gospel to the world. Everything that the church does is built around fulfilling that calling. I want to thank David for joining me on this episode of the Missions Pastor Podcast. If you want to learn more about Cornerstone Church, go to IamCornerstone.us. And be sure to check out David's book, God of the Long View, Trusting a Timeless God in a Hurried World, which is available in bookstores as well as online. And thank you for listening to the Missions Pastor Podcast. This show is presented by One Child. We are a global community of child champions that serves children in poverty so that they can discover hope and reach their God-given potential. To learn more about how your church can partner with One Child to bring hope to hard places, go to onechild.org.